Okay, church, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're in Luke chapter 2, we're looking at verses 8 through 20 today, Luke chapter 2. So this will be your second Christmas message in back-to-back weeks and the last two weeks of March. Um, but we're going to start off this week by just reading the, the text. Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom He is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph, and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Heavenly Father, Lord, I would just ask You to help me today, Lord, to... to, uh, God, to to speak the truth, Father. Um, Help me, Lord, by the power of Your Holy Spirit. Lord, protect me from error, God. Father, I pray that Your people would be fed today. Lord, that Your Son would be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Alright. So, do you have peace with God is the title of the message today. And really, by just a quick review and intro, introduction, we discuss... Last time, guys, in verses 1 through 7, really, obviously, the account of the birth of Christ. Um, that really just the, his entrance into the world, you know, remembering who he was, the, the eternal Son of God, the Creator, is the one who came. And, and we saw that, we talked about that last week, just about just the, the conditions he was born into, how he was welcomed into the world. He was born in. Just utter poverty, obscurity. Um, you know, he came to his own, the nation of Israel, but his own did not receive him. His family thought he was crazy. Um, just re- he experienced a life of, of rejection. The uh, most of the uh, even during his ministry, his home, his hometown, if you remember, wanted to throw him off a cliff the first time he preached. And throughout his ministry, the crowds he would gather big crowds, but they were. For the most part, after the miracles, after the the healings and the and the the the, the food and, and 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 these type of things, but when he would give the demands of the gospel, or people would realize that wow, the Son of Man doesn't even have anywhere to lay his head, that they would abandon him, and so he just experienced a a very lonely life in many ways, rejected by this world, and, and eventually, obviously, nailed to a cross by the by the hands of, of the Roman soldiers, but really by the hands of the Jews. The, the, religious, the religious leaders put him to death. 
And so just just really a picture in many ways we discussed last week of just the, the depravity of the human race. Seeing the Son of God, seeing God in the flesh come to this earth and seeing the way He was welcomed. He was not welcomed warmly at all when He came to really His own creation. So we saw the way that He was received. You know, but also guys, what we saw and what we're going to see more today is not only a picture of the way He was received, but really a picture of His humility. Just a picture of His humility. I want to read to you. If You can turn there if you want. Before we get into the text, Philippians chapter 2. Really one of the most beautiful portions of Scripture. I've heard it said that this was actually maybe an early hymn, this part of, this part of Philippians 2, that we, that's so familiar to us. But just listen to this language, you guys. Really in the context of what we're seeing, we're seeing the Son of God come to this earth. And of course, we know His, his life, right? That, that He was truly and fully God and that He became man, He put on flesh. And, um, and then, of course, His life ended up going to the cross. But, but listen to this. In Philippians 2, 3 and 8, we can hear this language in this text. Really, just again, emphasizing the humility of the incarnation of the Son of God that He did on our behalf. It says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself. And that's what we're seeing in the Incarnation. He emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Guys, He did that for you and I. He did that for His people. And then verse, uh, verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself. Obviously, we've seen that He humbled Himself just in His birth, but even more so in His life. In this verse right here, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I just think that's, that's really one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture when you're talking about the, the humility of the Son of God. Remembering who He was and remembering His conditions where He was born that we were discussing last week and we'll look at today, but just His ministry and then ultimately His death on the cross. And it said, guys, I believe it's in Hebrews, it says, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross despising the shame, and now is set down at the right hand of God. He knew what He was coming to accomplish at the cross, guys. And, and yes, he, he did it. it. It was preordained before the foundation of the world. But aren't you thankful that He did it? Aren't you thankful that He didn't call down legions of angels to, to slaughter all those who were going to put Him to death? No. No, He did. He, did. he, he voluntarily went to the cross. And we're the beneficiaries of that. And so, so now we're going to see, we're going to continue to see really his, his, his humility or His lowliness. His lowliness and humility we're going to see in this passage here right off the bat. Even in the recipients of this Gospel message from the angels, we're going to see it again. And so if you, have your, if you want to follow along, if you have your outline, we have four points today. 
And that's the first thing we're going to look at. We're going to look at the angel's appearance and recipients. In other words, the recipients of their message. The recipients of their message. That's what we're going to look at first is the recipients in verse 8. So it says in the same region, right, meaning, meaning Bethlehem, that's where, that's where he was born uh, that we looked at last week. In the same region, in the city of David, Bethlehem, there were, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their, over their flock by night. So we're going to see the recipients of the angel's message. And it's, it's coming to these shepherds. Now, in this, in this day and time, in this culture, at this period of time, the, the shepherds were near really the bottom of the social ladder in, in society. They were, uh, for the most part, uneducated, unskilled, despised by most. That's, that's who the Lord decided to give this message to out in the fields, these shepherds. Because of their occupation, they were out there most of the time they were kept from observing certain aspects of the ceremonial law, and really probably even more so, I think MacArthur made the point, really more of the man-made Sabbaths and traditions that the religious elite uh, put on top of the Word of God. So they were unable to, to, uh, to observe many of these, and so they were considered unclean by the, by the Pharisees, by the, by the religious elites of the day. They were regarded as liars and thieves, and not allowed to testify in court. Really, only lepers were considered lower in class than the shepherds. And then, isn't it a beautiful thing, guys? Right off in this text, we see the Lord appearing to the outcasts of society. The outcasts, the, again, the religious, the religious leaders would consider them unclean. And that's who the Lord appeared to. The outcasts, the unclean of society, guys. And before we go any further... Oh, aren't you glad that, that, that God came to save those who are unclean? You remember what Isaiah the prophet says about us? We have all become like one who is unclean. We were unclean. We are very unclean in our sin. And, and, and God in His grace appeared to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we see Him appearing to these, these outcasts, these lowly shepherds. And as we go through the book of Luke, we're going to see that more. As we'll see in Christ's ministry, we're going to see Him healing those like the lepers. Those who society cast out. And we're going to see Jesus having these divine appointments with these lepers and showing the compassion of who God is. Healing the lepers and cleansing sinners of all kinds. So the religious leaders looked down on these shepherds. But you know what's great about this, guys? God didn't. God didn't look down on them. I think it's very clear that these men were actually probably very devout men who were looking for the Messiah. And so, God's dear Son made His entrance into Bethlehem. Again, He didn't make His entrance into Jerusalem. He didn't make His entrance into to Rome or any of these places. It was a little bitty Bethlehem, guys. And the angel made this great news known that we're going to look at it in a minute. This, this good news. Who did He make it known to? Not to the rich. He didn't appear to the rich. Not to the wealthy, not to the powerful, not to the priests, not to the rulers, but to the lowly and despised shepherds. Doesn't that just fit with how God does things? I mean, when you think about 1 Corinthians 1, it says, not many of you were, were wise or, 
or, or powerful. Doesn't mean God doesn't save the, the you know those who are wealthy, those who are, are maybe powerful in this world. But by and large, but by and large, God reveals Himself to the lowly, to the lowly, and uh, so that's what we see in this text, beloved. What we see through the recipients of this good news message that's coming from the angels is that God is no respecter of persons. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that you don't have to have a certain amount of prestige, a certain amount of education, a certain amount of money, a certain amount of religious background to be a candidate for salvation? No, what we see here is salvation is for anyone, right? Meaning, it's for all types of people. The cross. Jesus hangs on the cross and says, come to me, to sinners. So that's the recipients. Again, just, just adding to the lowliness of, the, of His entrance into this world. Secondly, we see um, the angels, not only their recipients, but their actual appearance in verse 9. It says, an angel of the Lord. Angel, so if, you look at, if you're following your outline, you see the first one is angels, um, singular. Okay? It's the angel, it's just one angel here. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. So we see the appearance of the angel to the shepherds. Angel, meaning messenger. We see a messenger of God here. Again, it doesn't say it's probably Gabriel. You know, a few times it mentions Gabriel in these accounts, but we don't know. Just like when, he, when, when the angel appeared to Joseph in Matthew 1, doesn't say, probably Gabriel, but it doesn't say. But we see this angel appearing. In verse 9, the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. The glory of the Lord. Just meaning the, the brightness of the heavenly glory is what we see here, guys. Would that not have been a sight out here in this field? And, and the glory of the Lord shines. And, and it, I read one of the commentaries said it was probably even above the, the, the shepherds. But just the brightness of the glory of God. Think of the Shekinah glory. That's what we have here. And what was their reaction, guys? They were terribly frightened. And that's what we see, right? When, when men and women are confronted with either an angel or some kind of, an, uh, some kind of vision of God, we, we see the same reaction. They were terribly frightened. And you know what we have here, guys? We have a, we have a picture of the holiness of God. Remember the holiness of God, guys. Really, it's the it, God is other. Right? He's not like us. If you and I were to, to see the appearance of an angel, it, it, would, it would cause the same reaction to us. Okay? We would have the same type of reaction. We see it all the way through Scripture. But this is, a, this is a, the idea of being in the presence of the holiness of God, one of His holy angels. And I was just, I'm reading, I'm re- reading the holiness of God by R.C. Sproul right now. And he told this, he gave this illustration. Really the same idea. of, um, And I'm sure you guys have maybe had it happen to you as well. Maybe as a Christian when you're around somebody who's not a Christian. But he told this story to make this point. He told the story of this professional golfer. I don't remember if he even named his name. And this, was, this would have been several years ago. But he, this golfer played a round of golf with Billy Graham. Okay? And, you know, Billy Graham is known for being a, a preacher. And so that's, this golfer was playing this Round of golf with Billy Graham. And so after the round of golf, somebody had asked this golfer, hey, how'd, your, uh, how'd the golf go with, with, 
with Reverend Graham. And he just immediately, he was irritated. And he, he was irritated. He said he didn't play well. And he didn't appreciate that pastor shoving his religion down his throat. Well, it turns out, uh, when you got Billy Graham's side of it, he didn't say anything. It was just, just the presence of a, of a man who was a, who was a preacher, represented Christ, and this man, he was so bothered by that. He was so uncomfortable by that, it just irritated him. And, and, and Sproul just made that point. And I've had that happen to me before. You ever been, you ever been around somebody, guys? You, you haven't said a word. And, and maybe it's not to that extent, but they just people just come up and they just apologize for swearing in person. You're like, I didn't say anything. But it's just the idea of the, the presence of Christ in, in the Christian. Or somebody who represents God in the eyes of, of a lost world. And so, guys, I think, I think that should happen to us at times as Christians. When we're around the unbelieving world, there should be, at times, somebody should be just kind of bothered by that because they sense something's different about, about Sometimes you don't even have to say anything. So I thought that was a very good example of that. But that's what this was, guys, is the holiness of God. The holiness of God frightens people. The holiness of God frightens sinners, and it should. Makes people feel uncomfortable. And so even, and I'll say this, guys, before we move on. Our, our, our church, it, it, it should even, if, if, if we, Lord willing, would have an influx of visitors, lost people, they should feel a sense. Obviously, they should feel loved by the people, but there should be a sense where they're a little uncomfortable because of the holiness of God that's present there. It should be different. Does that make sense? Okay. So secondly, guys, let's see. Uh, we're going to see the angel's revelation in verses 10 through 12. The, the angel's revelation. In other words, their, what it was, what, what, what was their message that they brought in verses 10 through 12. But the angel said to him, and, and again, this is still singular, the angel's singular, the angel's revelation. But the angel said, said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Verse 10. Do not be afraid. In other words, stop being frightened. That's what that means. Stop being frightened. That's the third time we've seen that, that language in Luke. Uh, back in chapter 1, verse 13, with Zechariah, the same language. And then in verse 30, with Mary, the same language. And it means stop being frightened. And this angel says, stop being frightened. Why? Because I bring you good news. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to bring you good news. And before we move on, guys, I want to emphasize that. He says, don't be afraid for I bring you good news. Speaking to the shepherds. Because I just want to emphasize that, guys. Salvation is personal. Okay? Aren't you glad that, that God brought you good news? That it wasn't just good news that's just out there and it's just kind of, well, we don't know who really it's for. It's for a whole bunch of people, but is it for me? Yes, it's for you. I bring you good news. These lowly shepherds bring you good news. We need to remember that when we're communicating the Gospel. This good news is for you, sir. It's for you. Do you believe it? Salvation is personal. And it's good news. It just means this is the Gospel message. That... that that God's Son has come into this world. God has been made flesh. He is manifested in the flesh. This is the greatest news. Not just good news. This is the greatest news. And He says, Don't be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. 
Rocky, you remember the text men you had earlier this week? <laughs> and I think I texted you this verse because you, Rocky and I were texting. He mentioned something about joy. And I was, ha- I was happened to be working through that text. And it just reminded me of that. This joy that God brings, guys, it's not temporal joy. It's not talking about temporal joy. Joy that's going to just fizzle out. Right? It's not, it's not earthly joy depending on circumstances. It's not... And really, any other kind of joy, the joy of this world is deceitful and it's counterfeit. Okay? There is no joy that's going to be, that's going to be everlasting, that's going to last apart from Christ. Okay? This is real, genuine, eternal joy. A joy that will go on and on and on into eternity. A joy that it doesn't depend upon the circumstance. It's this, it's this joy that the Gospel brings. It's this joy that knowing Christ brings to the human heart. That kind of joy that, that comes from knowing that your name is written in heaven. Do you have this kind of joy? Do you have this kind of joy? Do you know for sure that your name is written in heaven? That's, what, that's the joy, this great joy that the angels are bringing. There's no greater joy than the joy that God has come into the flesh to save His people. Especially when it becomes personal. And you realize, God has saved me from my sin. God has saved me from my sin. I still find it hard to believe that God has saved me from my sin. When I think about who I am and I think about what I deserve, you read a verse like this, that this verse is true for me? This sinner? Man, we should praise Him. This is the kind of joy that will cause you to endure any and every affliction in this world. That this life can... You can endure through it. Because this, this joy is not dependent upon that. This joy is not, depend, not dependent upon our financial situation or our health or life or death. This joy is everlasting. Amen, Rocky? That was a sweet text we had the other day about this very thing. And it says it's for all the people. For all the people. That just means it's for the Jews. The Jew first. That's the order in the New Testament. The Jew first and also the Gentiles. Right? Our verse, Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and also for the Greek or the Gentiles. And that's the order we see in the text. He, he, he came to minister to the, to the Jews first, and also, but also to the Gentiles. And we, we see it even in this, this that the Gospel coming to these lowly Jewish shepherds. But then in my mind, I'm just thinking of Paul standing before King Agrippa, an Edomite, Herod, Agrippa, and Paul trying to persuade him to be a Christian. It's for the Jew first, and also for the Gentile. But we must be warned, guys. We must be warned. We must warn others that the angels, although they are here to bring great news here, there's no reason to be afraid because they're, they're coming with good news of the Gospel. They will be an instrument of God's judgment. God will use them to judge. And He, he has used them in the Old Testament to judge. And He will do so at the judgment. John 3.17 For God did not send His Son into the world, speaking of the first time, right? God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. That's this coming. Jesus came to save the world, not to judge the world. 
But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7-9, through 9, speaking about His return, the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven when He comes with who? His mighty angels, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So just like the Son of God came the first time to save, the angels here are bringing good news. But that will, that will be reversed at the end. The Son of God will come in judgment with His holy angels. And then verse 11, we continue to see the angel's revelation. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That verse will preach on the streets right there. Right there. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. To the city of David again, speaking of Bethlehem, not Jerusalem, not, not Rome, not even when we talk about how small Bethlehem guys, not even bow legs, but more like pink. If you know where pink's at, you'll drive by it on Highway 9. If you blink, you've missed pink. That's, that's how I've heard Bethlehem described. Just a little bitty place. It's just tea tiny. And, and again, it's just a beautiful picture of the lowliness of God, the Creator of the world, coming into this world, the meekest you know, setting that there is. And it says, that he, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior. You notice he doesn't say, in the city of Bethlehem has been born for you a teacher. Now, was he a teacher? Yes, he was. A good man has been born. The great example to all. No, he was all of those. Amen. No, a Savior. A Savior has been born. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Not Christ Jesus came into this world to be a good example to people who make mistakes. No, He came to save sinners. He's a Savior. And what did He come to save us from? Did He come to save you from your unfulfillment in this life? No, He came to save you from everlasting hell, the wrath of God. He does give you fulfillment in this life. He does give you purpose in this life. But He came to save us from our sins. He was appointed from all eternity to be, our, to be the Savior and promised in the very beginning of our Bible. And He's here. He's on the scene. A Savior who is who? Christ the Lord. Christ, meaning Messiah, the promised anointed with the King. And guys, it's a title. Christ is a title which eventually became part of His name. But it's really more accurate to say Jesus the Christ. But Christ became part of His name. And so, but that's what that means. The Messiah, the Anointed One, the King. And then Lord. Christ who is Lord, meaning He is God. Really just emphasizing His deity. He is God and your knee will bow. That's, that's the emphasis on Him being Lord. Every knee will bow to Him. And in verse 12, the angel says, this will be a sign for you. Okay, You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This will be a sign. You know what he's saying here? You know what the angel's telling the shepherds? He's saying, guys, you're not going to believe this. Okay, So I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to give you something to expect because you're not going to believe this. So I'm telling you now. Okay, He's going to be born, or he was born in the city of David, not in Jerusalem. Okay, He's wrapped in cloths, not in... Not in royal robes, and guys, you're going to find him. You're going to find him in a feeding trough. 
In that cave over there, that's where you're going to find him. So that I'm telling you that as a sign. Because it's not what you might think, right? How would we expect the Son of God to come into this world? Hey, go over there in that cave. That's where he's going to be. So that's what he means by, by, by that sign. This is what you guys should look for. Again, this is the humility of our Lord, guys. He came to serve. We see it even in His birth, even in His entrance into the world. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Isn't humility a beautiful thing? Isn't it a beautiful thing to be around those people who are humble? I think even the world recognizes that. That it's such a pleasant thing. Like, I notice that's what Shiloh and I will say a lot, and, and, and others as well. You know, like, like, if, like if I meet a brother, and, and you guys, man, how was, man, he's a, he's a humble brother. That just means he's such a pleasure to be around. I mean, when I say somebody's a humble brother, that's the greatest compliment I can give. Because they're so pleasant to be around, their, their disposition is just that of humility. It's just a beautiful thing. It made me think of, of a ministry that had that impact on me when I went out to uh, the Ambassadors Academy in 2009 to Living Waters. That's the ministry of Ray Comfort and, and did some evangelism training. And, and that ministry is worldwide, guys. So they, in other words, they, they bring in lots of money through their things that are purchased. And so in my mind, I just thought, well, they probably have a nice big fancy building and all this stuff. And it was very, very humble. It was very... It was very refreshing. You could see that they're using their money not for glamour and all these things, but for the gospel. And so that just left an impression on me. But just that idea, guys, of just the humility of the Son of God. And obviously, as Philippians 2 says, we should follow. That is our example. We should be those who are humble. And obviously, that's how you enter His kingdom. Is it not? That's the beauty of this kingdom. He doesn't call you to have a certain amount of money or prestige. He calls you to humble yourself and to bow lowly and to repent and to believe in Christ. So the revelation, thirdly, we see the angels, plural now, the angels' adoration in verse 13 and 14. The angels, plural, adoration. Verse 13, And suddenly there appeared with an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. A multitude just means innumerable, guys. We don't know how many there were. In Revelation, it talks about myriads of angels before the throne, meaning just thousands upon thousands upon ten thousands. The number just keeps going. So it may have been this. It may have been that kind of number. We don't know. But, it's, it, and it's, it, but it calls it a, a multitude. Of, uh, in, in verse 13, a multitude of the heavenly host. That just means an army. And what was this army doing? Praising the Lord. Now you can see in the Old Testament, sometimes the armies slaughtered God's enemies. Sometimes it would be one angel. But here they're, they're doing really what they've always done, praising God. Hebrews 1.6, we see this. We see this um, describing what's happening here in Hebrews 1.6. It says, when He again brings the firstborn into the world, He says, let all the angels of God worship Him. That's what's going on. So it may be all the angels. That's a big host. That's a big army. Let all the angels worship Him. Hebrews is a great chapter, guys. Let all the angels worship Him. 
Jesus is not an angel <laughs> like the Jehovah's Witness would have us to believe. No, He's the Creator of the angels and the angels worship Him. That's what we see going on here. But again, again that's some of that polemic teaching we talked about in church history last week. Just a, a little correction, maybe just some false teaching. He's not an angel. He created the angels and they worship Him. We talked about His humble entrance into the world. Last week, up to this point, we've talked about His humble entrance into the world, about how unrecognized and obscure His arrival was. Oh, but beloved, that's about to change. Matter of fact, that is changing right now. Those in the world may not recognize Him, but heaven most certainly does. That's what we're seeing here. Listen to Matthew Henry. It says, When we saw Him wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger, we were tempted to say, Surely this cannot be the Son of God. Right? Born in a cave? But, he says, see His birth attended as it is here with a choir of angels, and we shall say, surely it can be no other than the Son of God. So heaven, heaven is aware. Heaven is, heaven is giving attention to the birth of the eternal second person of the Trinity into this world. In verse 14, it says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom He is well pleased. Glory to God in the highest. It means praise be to God. Honor to God. We see His glory on display here, guys. God's glory is revealed. God's glory is displayed. You could say His different attributes are put on display here. And His glory has been put on display at many times in the Scriptures throughout human history and in many ways. For example, we see His glory put on display through His power in creation. Right? His omnipotence that God spoke and this world came to existence. So for example, we see His attribute of His, his all-powerful omnipotence in, in creation. We see His, not only His power, but also His justice in the flood. Right? I mean, obviously His power, but also His justice. We see what He thinks about sin at the flood. That He destroyed this whole world and every person in it except eight people. So we see His power and His justice put on display in the flood. His glory even in those very difficult passages in the Old Testament, like His destruction of the Canaanites. All of them. We see God's justice. His glory being revealed through His justice. Because you have to remember this, guys. When we read about accounts like that, the Canaanites are even worse, the flood. Guys, when Adam and Eve sin, we are all on death sentence because of sin. We're all going to die. Every single one of us physically. And it's because of sin. God is never unjust for bringing out judgment and death because that's what we deserve. We have to understand that. So we see His justice in all these. We see His power and justice in the Exodus, right? He delivered His, he delivered his people from Pharaoh's hand, from His armies. His glory was put on display. His power and also His justice in, in drowning the Egyptians' armies. And then through that story, obviously he was, His name was made famous. So the other, other nations feared Him because of that. But beloved, and we can look at many, many more. 
In the Old Testament where His glory was revealed, His glory was put on display, His different attributes were put on display, but the highest degree of the glory of God is in the sending of His Son. That's what we're seeing here. And the angels are praising Him for it. Think about His different attributes that were put on display, that were, that were revealed through His Son coming to this earth. His truth. His faithfulness, right? This was the one who was promised all throughout the Old Testament. And God has proven that He is true, that He is faithful. He has come just like He was promised to come. In His life, in His death at Calvary, and His resurrection, His glory is most put on display. His justice and holiness as He was on the cross and our sins were laid upon Him. His glory was revealed through His justice. But He will not turn, he will not turn a blind eye to sin. No, He crushed His own Son for the sins of His people. We see His justice, His holiness. But you know what we also see on the cross? His mercy and His love and His grace and His wisdom, the wisdom of the cross that the world says is foolishness. The wisdom that through the cross, the justice and, and mercy of God could come together. That, that He could be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 3.26 His power we see put on display that raised Jesus from the dead. Right? Death is swallowed up in victory. It's been defeated. Jesus Christ abolished death through the power of God. Striking a death blow at death itself. At hell and the grave. The power of God put on display. The justice of God put on display. The mercy of God. Forgiveness of sin offered to sinners through the cross of Jesus Christ. And, he said, and, the, and, the, and the angels say, and on earth, peace among men with whom He is pleased. Literally meaning, among men of His good pleasure. We see, we see the emphasis on God here, guys. Even in this little praise from the angels, we see the emphasis is on God, not man. In other words, those whom God chooses, not vice versa, that He, that he sets His pleasure upon. The world screams for peace, guys. Right here in verse 14, and on earth, peace among men with whom He is pleased. Our world screams for peace. And yet the Prince of Peace that Isaiah 9 spoke of came to this earth and they crucified Him on a cross. The One that came to bring peace. And they crucified Him. What kind of peace did He come to bring? What kind of peace did Jesus bring? Peace with God, primarily. He came to bring peace with God for those who, who were hostile to God. For those who were in enmity with God because of our sin. He came so that the sinner could have peace with God. Peace only makes sense because of the enmity that exists between man and God. Or else He would not have, come, he would not have needed to come to bring peace if we already had peace. The world as a whole and individuals are at war with God. That's what's wrong with our world. They're at war with God and with each other. 
And it's the gospel alone that will bring peace between God and man and man and man. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why that's the hill we die on, right? That's the, that's the beat that we march to to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this peace only comes through a mediator. Okay, This peace only comes through a mediator. 2 Corinthians 5.19 God was in Christ reconciling. Whenever you hear that word reconciling, that means that there's being made, there's, there's peace being made between two opposing parties. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. How? By not counting their trespasses against them. And how does He do it? Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself. How? Having made peace through the blood of His cross. That is how there can be peace between a holy and perfect God who must punish sin, who will punish all sin, and and a sinner. It's the blood of the cross. The blood of Christ's cross. And so, do you have peace with God? It's all good and well to know these things, but do you have peace with God? Not have you been baptized. Not have you gone to church your whole life. Not are you a good person. There are none. Do you have peace with God? Have you been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ? Can you truly sing through all of life's circumstance that it is well with your soul? That's how you really know if you have peace with God. No matter how dark it gets in this life. No matter what kind of trials you're saying, you can say, and I'm not even saying your emotions have to be in line with you. Our emotions are up and down. But you can say deep down in your heart, it's well with my soul. Because I have peace with God. Because why did He come? To give rest to what? Our souls. Isaiah 48.22, the text we read earlier, there is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord God. The wicked, that just means... There's two categories of people, the righteous and the wicked. Those outside of Christ, there's no peace. And anything that they think peace, think, think is peace is deceitful and counterfeit. And it will not last. But there's no peace with God for the wicked. See, it's when you have peace with God, only then will you have peace, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Whenever you have peace with God, then the peace of God comes as a result of that. That literally is, it's, it's, it's surpasses all understanding or all comprehension. You can't even explain it to somebody who doesn't have it. Other than just come to Christ. And then that will eventually lead to peace among each other. Right? When you have two people that have humbled themselves and life all of a sudden is not all about ourselves then there can be peace between human beings. And that's what the Gospel does. The Gospel humbles us. The Gospel enables us to be able to put somebody else ahead of our needs. Because we realize it's not about us. It's about Christ. 
And it can bring peace to men, between men, even peace among nations, whenever you have hearts that have been transformed. And so, beloved, we see God's holy angels praising and glorifying God for His mighty salvation. Throughout this account, we see their love for God, and we also see their compassion for lost mankind. They're celebrating the fact that He has come. Good news has come because they know about the fall of man. They know the condition of sinful man. And peace finally come. The eternal Son of God has come. We're here to bring you good news. Think about what Luke 15.10 says, guys. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over what? One sinner who repents. You can see the heart of these angels there. They praise God for Christ, for Him coming into the world. Oh, beloved, oh, that, that we would join the angels in our praise to God for who He is and for the mighty salvation. And, and may we also join them in their praise and celebration when even one sinner repents. Does it, does it cheer your heart when you know of a sinner repenting and come to Christ? It should. That's what we should live for. To see people come to Christ. We're not in control of who does, but that's what we should pray for and plead with God for and preach the Gospel for. And it should bring joy to our hearts. Guys, we're going to spend eternity with the angels. (laughs) So we had better be in agreement with them about these things. (laughs) But they're they're a great example to us. See them praising the Lord and, and, and celebrating. When a sinner repents, may that be us. May that be us. This is the ultimate goal of salvation. Beloved, for redeemed sinners to join the angels in everlasting praise of the King. That is the supreme goal that God will receive the glory. So again, do you have peace with God? And last, guys, we're going to see the gospel, or not the gospels, the people's response. In verses 15 through 20, the people's response. We're going to see the shepherds. And then just, I have others, other people, and then Mary. The shepherds in verse 15 through 17, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. We see them responding in faith and obedience. They quickly acted upon what they heard. The shepherds, very simple here. The angel implied in verse 12, hey, this, is going to, this will be a sign for you. You're going to find the, the baby wrapped in cloth. So he's implying what they need to do. And they did it. In the same way, guys, the sermon, <laughs> the Word of God. The Word of God clearly implies what you and I should do. When we hear the Word of God preached, do we respond like the angels? Do we respond in faith and obedience to whatever the Word of God is telling us? That's what we can learn from this. Verse 16 says, they, So they, they came in a hurry and found the way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. They came in a hurry to find him. These faithful shepherds, these devout men, they, they came in a hurry. Let's go find him. Beloved, oh, that sinners would rush to Christ when told about him like these, like these men did. Now is the day of salvation. 
Now, when, oh, that if you don't know Christ, that when you hear about Him, that you'll go to Him now. And what a beautiful thing. You don't have to travel to Bethlehem to see Him like they did. You just look to Him by faith. Look to Him. Christ is here. Look to Him and be saved. That's how Spurgeon was saved. I was going to share a quote, but it was very long. But have you ever heard testimony of Charles Spurgeon? As a, young, as a teenager, I believe. He just ended up in this Methodist church and he said it wasn't even the normal pastor there that day. It was, he said the guy really didn't have much to say, but he just kept saying. The, the verse was Isaiah 45, 22. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. And he says, the guy, he said that's literally all he said. Look to Christ. And he pointed at Spurgeon and said, young man, you look miserable. You need to look to Christ. And Spurgeon said, so I looked. That's, that's his conversion story. Guys, and that's really how simple it is. The thief on the cross, he looked. And obviously that implies faith, right? You look to Christ. You don't have to travel, right? You don't have to travel down the road. What if your car broke down? You couldn't get there. No, Christ is present. If you don't know Him, look to Him. Repent and believe. And encourage others to do so as Christians. Verse 17, When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. So in other words, they told Mary and Joseph everything that the angel said, that the angel singular said in verses 10-12, through 12, that the host of angels spoke of in verse 13 and 14. And now, they, and now they've seen the child. They've seen the child. And guys, we see these shepherds proclaiming what they've seen and heard. That's really what we see here. We've seen, we see them telling what they've heard, telling what they've seen. And so, beloved, have you heard the message? Have you come to Christ? If you can say yes to both of those, then testify to what you've seen and heard. That's what we see the disciples doing in Acts. They just simply testified to what they've seen and heard. That's what a witness of Christ is. You don't have to have a theology degree to testify to what you've seen and heard. Have you seen? First of all, have you heard the message? Have you believed the message? Have you seen the, the risen Christ by faith? Has, it, has it God given you eyes to see Him and to experience Him and, and have your sins forgiven? If so, then testify to those things to this world. And in verse 18, we see the response of others, other people. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told of them by the shepherds. They wondered. Your version may say they marveled. I think the New King James says marveled. But the idea, guys, is there's, a, there's, a, there's just a wondering about it. A marveling, maybe even some amazement. But probably what we have going on here is after a little while, after that wore off, most returned to life as usual. It really didn't have a, a saving effect. Have you ever met somebody like that? And they hear the things of the God, and maybe they get excited, like, oh, that's pretty cool. Oh, I'm amazed. I think of um, youth church camps like Falls Creek. I've seen that happen to many, many teenagers. They come back, and they're just amazed. Maybe the environment. 
And I'm not here to step on anybody's toes. There have been people genuinely saved at places like that. But there are so many that they're amazed and all the emotion and all the, the singing and, and everybody's on the same page and they, and they come back and it's just life as usual. There was really no change. There was no new birth. Just spoke to a family member not long ago who seemed to wonder at these things. Oh, that's great. That's great stuff. No, but the question is, is will you respond to it in repentance and faith? That's the question. It should do more than just cause us to wonder. It should cause us to repent and bow the knee to Jesus Christ. And the last we see Mary. Mary's response in verse 19. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in their heart. This is a whole different response here. Treasured. She carefully stored away these things. She weighed these things in her mind. You know what she's doing, guys? She's, she's meditating on these things that she has seen. All of these things. What are all of these things? Think about the story up to this point. What the angel had told Joseph, now that's in Matthew's account, where, where the angel met with Joseph. You should call his name Jesus. Save his people from their sins. No doubt she would have been treasuring these things. When, what Gabriel had told her in chapter 1 and the encounter with the angel in her meeting with Elizabeth, if you guys remember that in chapter 1. And then what the shepherds told her. She is meditating on all these things. You know what she's meditating on? Jesus. She's thinking about all these things. It's not just wondering about them and then moving on, but she's, she's treasuring these things in her mind. This meditation upon Christ, guys. That's the application for you and I. The Puritans called it holy meditation. You see, we get afraid of that word meditation, right? <laughs> because we think it's a bad word. No, it's not a bad word if we're meditating on Christ, on the Word of God, thinking deeply upon letting the Word of God absorb into you. John Owen spoke of this holy meditation. And he said this, there is no more certain gospel truth than this, that believers ought to continually meditate on Christ by faith. And as they think of Him, and grow to love Him more so they are transformed into His image. That's that. As our study yesterday, violent meditation. <laughs> Intentional, right? I'm not just going to, well, I'll meditate on if I get to it. No, I'm going to meditate on the person of Jesus Christ. Paul Washer just has written a new book, uh, the, the Preeminence of Christ. And he says that's why he wrote it. Because he wants people, I'm paraphrasing, basically to think deeply on Christ because Christ is so worthy of that. That's the idea here, guys. Do you and I meditate upon Him? That's what we see Mary doing. And guys, in closing, how do you respond? In verse 20, the shepherds went back. Okay, what, They went back where? To their fields. To their occupation. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. They went back to their normal walk of life. Beloved, and what were they doing? Glorifying and praising God. This is just a picture, guys. It's a picture of true conversion. It's a picture of somebody 
If you wanted to apply it to our day, it's a picture of somebody that doesn't just say, yeah, I heard a powerful sermon on Sunday. Or I went to this conference, I heard this guy speak. And there was a sense of wonder or amazement. But then they go right back to the pig slop Monday through Saturday. We don't see that with these men. We see them going back to their way of life. And what is their lifestyle, in other words? It's that of glorifying and praising God. Guys, what about you? After a Lord's Day, but really after, what does your life look like? Monday through Saturday. Do you go back on Monday at the job, wherever you're at, at the job, in the home, at the school, glorifying and praising God? Or is it just a Sunday thing? If it's just a Sunday thing, if that's all it is, if the reality of Christ for you is on Sunday when you come to church, then it's not real. And you need to repent and, and come to Him and experience genuine salvation, genuine relationship with Christ. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You for the birth of Your Son the birth of Your dear Son, our Savior, Christ the Lord, the One who came to save us from our sins, the promised King, the promised Messiah, the promised Anointed One, and the One who is God in the flesh. Father, help us, God, by Your Holy Spirit. Help us to love Him more. Lord, help us to have a deeper compassion for those who do not know Him. Father, help us in our, in our daily lives, God, to not get caught up in our circumstances, Lord. Father, but even when we're in difficult circumstances, God, may we not forget whose we are, Lord. That we will, even if we're not doing it outwardly, God, but that in our hearts, Father, in our hearts, that we're praising You. That we're content just to know You. Just to know that I have peace with God is enough for us. Father, we thank You for the cross. Thank You for His birth. Thank You for His life. Thank You for His death, Lord, which we want to remember as we take the Lord's Supper. God, we love You and praise You. In Christ's name, Amen.